recorded live. Live from the maths department at Alzarius University, where all the men have bad haircuts and all the women are still laughing about last term's winner of the badge for mathematical excellence. It's Doctor Who Podshock. Post Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 81. It's Doctor Who Podshock live. And with us, we have our, well, we have our, the three main hosts are all together at the beginning of the show. This is of, of a live broadcast. And I, Unheard of. <laughs> so, Hooray. I, I always uh, analyze have, everything you say, Lewis. And you say things like, all three of our hosts are all together. The all together now. <laughs> three of us are all together. All together. So, that is Mr. Ken Deep. Hello, Ken. Uh, hello. Good to hear you. Good and to be heard. Good to be heard. And then across the great pond, it's Mr. James Norton. Hello. Hey, James. Hey. Good to have you back as well. Good to be back. And with us, accompanying us, are our Doctor Who Podshock regular contributors. We have Taras Natishan. Hello, Taras. Hello, all. Hey, Taras. Hey, how you doing? Good to have you back. Great. Good to be back. And then we have the one and only Darth Skeptical. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Darth. Oh, Lord. There we go. There's some volume. <laughs> don't, don't get money on us now. Oh, you know, I can't help that. <laughs> anyway, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Darth. Morning. Good afternoon, good evening, whatever. <laughs> and then, um, so that, that, that's the cast we have for today's show. Uh, perhaps Mike will be joining us later. I haven't heard from him, so um, he usually chimes in on our live show. We missed you all last week. Um, I want to thank uh, Dave is, I know, is listening in on um, on today's show, and he helped out last week. So thank you again, yes. Dave, for helping out as a guest host. Cheers, Dave, mate. So a bit of a warning, if you're listening, this is um, once again we're doing a live show, which we're recapping, reviewing, uh, remen- re- reminiscing, <laughs> last rambling. Night's, <laughs> last night's um, new episode that was transmitted on the BBC. The episode title is 42, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have not seen this story yet, you may want to take this podcast and put it in your pocket and save it for later until you have seen it. Uh, the freshness date is um, well into next year, so don't worry about it you know, going stale on you. But that's your spoiler warning for today's episode. So um, from henceforth we can um, give out any spoilers for this episode and uh, um, you have been warned. And we do apologize. There hasn't been a new studio non-spoiler episode since um, I think episode 75. So uh, we're going to try to uh, get those things out as soon as we kind of sort of catch up on our post-production work. Um, So that's coming shortly. So episode 42, the long-awaited 
I should say, episode 42, since last week it was originally supposed to be on, but it was pushed back till this week due to this uh, Eurovision, um, well... Rubbish. I was going to say nonsense, <laughs> but I don't want to offend anyone that might be fans of this Eurovision, whatever, so... <laughs> but, yes, rubbish. There are fans of Eurovision? <laughs> Good God. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, I don't know. <laughs> it takes all sorts to make a planet. And um, Earth has proven that it has all sorts. So anyway, so... Takes all sorts at Eurovision. <laughs> <laughs> so we finally get episode 42. Now, I was looking forward to this because the the trailer for this looked really interesting. It, it whetted my appetite for another off-world, off-Earth adventure, which this was. But I must say, after seeing this, I, I think I kind of liked this episode better when it was called The Impossible Planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know what it's okay i it, it's i might it, there's some similarities there granted and it, it it's just that the last time we had a north world earth, earth adventure it was the impossible planet and satan pit to my knowledge um you know outside of going to the moon in smith and jones we really have been earthbound ever since so or new new earth okay yes yes new 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 earth Whatever. <laughs> it still was um, tied. To, it was still had earth in it. You, you're right, Teresa. Um So, I don't know. I, I just felt that if this if this story was um, if there was some other off-world adventures between Satan's Pit and Impossible Planet that were a bit different in style and 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 look, then I wouldn't have minded so much. It's just that it just seemed like it was back to back. As far as these two new, these two off-world adventures, and um, so I think it suffered a little bit for that. But like I said, not that it was a problem. It's just that I felt, well, I think I already made my point, so I won't belabor it. But I guess it's too late for that now. Mm. <laughs> but I, the other complaint, okay, it's 42, and I know the whole point of this was that it um, takes place in real time, so you have 42 minutes, even though the episode clocked in around 45 minutes, but you know, you got your credits and all that. So, um, I kind of felt like this was, I came in the middle of a story almost, because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, everything was happening at once, and it's not really so much a complaint, except for the fact that I think we lost something in character development, where um, I personally just, just wasn't really feeling much for many of the cast members and some of the things that were happening to them. Uh, if you use a, a comparison to the great Ridley Scott film Alien, where it's another spacefaring cargo ship and things run amok there, you had some time, some build-up time with the characters to learn about the characters and start feeling something for them. And here you kind of just thrown, uh, just thrown at you and... It just didn't really, um, at least I didn't really feel anything for them. And, you know, with some exceptions later on, you know, maybe, um, I, I can't even tell you the character's name, but the the one that um, Martha had a somewhat a, um, a friendship with. And, I, you know, but the McDougall's captain and the husband, I don't know, I didn't really, you know, other oh, than... The husband wasn't even in the credits. Yeah, it's it's just um I don't know. So how, I just felt how that, major a character could the husband be when I'm looking for Colwyn in the credits and I can't find him? 
Well, I, I think it sort of suffers to suffers for um, with this new format that we're that we have with Doctor Who, have, you know, telling a whole story in one forty-two minute episode or forty-five minute episode. And if this was maybe a two-parter where you had the first part, you could maybe develop the characters and get to know them, and then things escalate. And granted, you can't call it forty-two then, but at least you would have the time to flesh out the characters and start caring about them. And when all danger, when they're facing all these um, perils and danger, at least then you can feel something. Well, but, I have, I have to agree with you 100%, Lewis. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I just, there's, it's an impossible planet Satan pit at least had two parts. So you started to exactly. develop these characters and each one had a, their own persona, persona. Uh, in this story, you never got that. They just—it's they, they, almost true. like they skipped part one. Well, that's how I felt. I felt like I came in the middle of part two, uh, you know, of a, of a two-parter, or you okay. know. Okay, let's let's compare this to Impossible Planet. They stick you in some place that's really hot. Uh, it's it's a, a crew, a claustrophobic crew, heading towards peril. The Doctor gets to wear a spacesuit. Uh, someone mm-hmm. gets flushed out of an airlock. He lost access to his TARDIS. Lost access to the TARDIS. Uh, the list goes on and on. I, I mean, w- the only thing we were missing was the Ood. And, you know, <laughs> burn with me, whatever. It was, it's very similar to um, uh, what was the thing? They saying? didn't even change the voice. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could have had like... C-Tech back and, yeah. <laughs> now, wait. Uh, on the flip side, though, because we're making it like we're really beating up on this episode, I loved... Graham Harper's use with the space pod, the uh, escape pod, mm-hmm. uh, a la 2001, and, a, and, a, and um, uh, blanking out on one, one of the sci-fi movies that I'm going to drop off like that. Um, even a touch of... Always any hope? Uh, yeah, that's true. Well, that was a, 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 this was more slow. It was, it was meant to be more pronounced. And that scene saved, saved this from being one star for me. Yeah, I, I I agree that that was the best part of this episode was was that whole escape pod. Even though the sun's gravity would have <laughs> just swallowed that escape pod, and, and that magnet, magnetism mechanism that the doctor used to get it back wouldn't have done doodly squat. But you know, I guess we have to lapse the That's whole the you know, to science space thing. Pirates. Yeah, what was that? The magnetism. Well, there was a, there was a few uh, you know a few subtle. Uh, homages there because the doctor being outside in the airlock, very frontier in space, very four to doomsday, and I like that. To me, that that all that stuff saved this episode because, uh, quite honestly, I didn't give a damn who bought the farm in this in this story. Exactly. I, I really, uh, other than the doctor and Martha, I could care less if the whole damn crew bought it as, as long as we got out of there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, you must do, of course, because otherwise the rest of the series is. Uh... Well, he's somewhat in, in jeopardy. <laughs> I, I have to say, Graham Harper let us down big time. For a, for a director as talented as he is, to not have watched... I mean, maybe he was wrapped up in, in, in his Cyberman stories last year and didn't get a chance to check out Impossible Planet and Satan Pit, but I, the, the production design was almost identical, uh, with very few exceptions. I mean, the, the whole Airlock 14, all that stuff... He, it almost seemed like he missed that whole episode last year. Well, he, to, I mean, I don't, he didn't he didn't write the story, Graham Hall. I, I don't think that we could blame this on the director. I yeah, think that's what I was uh, saying. Should be blamed on 
the whole production team because they go through these tone meetings that I always hear and read about, and if they couldn't figure out that this is going to be so similar, then what are they doing at these meetings? Well, to be fair, yeah. they did they did know that. It's deliberate that it looks the same. Phil Collinson says in the commentary that they absolutely meant to suggest that this is happening in the same time frame that Impossible Planet does. And that if you look very carefully, the constellations that are named at the top of the episode are ones that appear also in Impossible Planet. Uh, okay, so why would they build, do that? Because they're well, trying I, to build an internal uh, continuity in the same way that they have a New, New Earth trilogy. There, there are certain segments of the um, ongoing storyline where there are little bits of continuity. I don't have a problem with it. I, I would appreciate it more if we had some more off-world, off-Earth adventures that were very much different than Satan's Pit and Impossible Planet, and then we had this. You know, at yeah, least because it would have broken guess, it up a bit. Because I guess for a lot of people, the Impossible Planet um, and the Satan Pit, uh, their two favorite episodes from last from the last series. And I think too much of a good thing can be bad. I mean, personally, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, okay, the production values were... Um, I think a lot of people, from what I've seen on the forums, thought that it was too much like The Impossible Planet and The Satan Pit, and that has really come across in what we've said so far. But for me, that wasn't what I found the most annoying about the episode. I thought... I mean, we've kind of touched on it a bit with the whole magnetism thing with the sun, but the science in this episode, I mean, was just absolutely dire. I mean, what what little science there was. Yeah, but I mean... I love Jingle Dyer. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I'm all for giving it a bit of... You can have a bit of artistic license, and you can kind of bend the rules a little bit, and it is a show predominantly for kids and to inspire and... And give people's you know, give people imagination and and a sense of wonder and that sort of thing. But this was there were just things in this that were just complete and utter rubbish. You mean like like Martha and the doctor looking straight into the sun when they first go? You know, Martha calls out to the doctor, "Doctor, doctor, come!" You know, and they like both are glaring. Even that, I could kind of I could kind of forgive that because at least they're kind of they they may have some sort of. uh, shielding or screening on, on, on the window or... You know, Unfilterizing. Yeah, or something like that. But this was just... It seemed like they tried to take... They tried to go for a wow episode in terms of special effects and in terms of the sets and everything. And it seemed like they take, tried to take the best bits from all of the other episodes and kind of throw them into one. Have a monster... Um, that can roam around and kill people. That is classic Doctor Who, and people die and scream horrifically and to try and scare the hell out of the kids. To have... Wait, James, I, I will say the one thing I liked in this episode was the monster. Yeah, exactly. Because it that, wasn't that, that, the that, usual that... CGI jumping around oversized monster. Yeah, exactly. It was, that was what the, the thing that I most loved about this episode, I think, was the monster. Um, but they, I think they tried. What I'm trying to get at is that they tried to take the best elements from a lot of the other um, episodes and kind of draw them into one episode. It seemed, but they didn't really think about how it would work as a story. And you alluded to that in the fact that you know it should have gone over more episodes, so you felt more for the characters. There was more character development there. Um, 
and that sort of thing. Because this this just felt like they just kind of thought, well, we need to have an episode here. Let's just let's make it a jigsaw puzzle. Let's just take pieces from here and pieces from there and shovel them all together, and we'll have an episode. And what, what that, it seems what it seems like to me, and we we talked about this last week on the podcast. We talked about the A, B, and C script. This almost looks like all the stuff they didn't use last year in the production meeting for Impossible Planet. They did. They like, thought, hey, right, last we'll just year take when we talked about there. it being yeah. around the sun? It's all that kind of stuff. It's like, hmm, what didn't we use? Remember last year when you said we wanted to do this? Well, why don't we do that this year? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, if they'd have just done it slightly differently, I think it would have really have worked. And I think if it hadn't have been such a big crew who where people are dying off instantly, almost as soon as... Um, as soon as the credits have rolled, then yeah, then I think it would have worked. And if it had been a small, more, smaller, more intimate crew, and if if the, if it hadn't have been around the sun, or if they'd have had some sort of alien there that could have possessed um, the crew, or I don't know, just it just didn't it didn't work as a whole to me. There were little bits of it that I really enjoyed, um, like the monster. Um, like the production values, I didn't particularly mind that it was a, a lot like the Impossible Planet or the Satan Pit because, as Darth was saying, I thought that was kind of echoing back to that and saying, well, this is from the same time period or something like that, um, you know, where they were constantly doing it with things like the long game and, you know, the same sort of technology, the same look and feel. But this just didn't, this just didn't work for me. And well, I, I, can't, I don't have a There were so many reasons why. I don't have a problem with a theme and returning to New Earth or returning to a, uh, a galaxy where the Satan Pit took place. What I have a problem with is, is the sequel formula that American movies use, which is when you want to make a sequel, just take the original movie and redo it. Mm-hmm. Yes, but in and a that, slightly different way. You, if you're going to return to the same uh, universe or planet or uh, themes, then do a different story using the same things. And that's what they've done on New Earth. They've at least mm-hmm. changed the, uh, the themes that they're, they're just going back to a, a similar location, but changing the story or changing what the message is going to be. So do you think you would have enjoyed this, this episode a lot better, Ken, if you, if you had never seen The Impossible Planet um, or The Satan Pit? Or... No, because I still didn't care about the characters. No, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I may have seemed more original to me, but I still think that the that the characterizations were non-existent. Yeah. And yeah. And them, them trying to do twenty-four in a single episode is probably what uh, was it's downfall. Very difficult for them to to do any character development, and. Uh, Though the pacing of the action was done pretty well, it's like some of the things were put in just for stupid reasons. Like, why would you have a long corridor that separates two ends of the ship and have, like, so many uh, locks between them? It's like, that just doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Yeah. See, if you're going to attempt to do this, real time, and you know you're going to cram it into one episode, what they needed to do was uh, make the crew a lot smaller. 
a crew of three, let's say. So that yeah, there that's was, what I would say. There, there was a little time, and you cared, and when you did lose somebody, it was important and significant, and there was some weight to it. This They, they, they took the same size crew, and uh, but only half the time, to, even less than half the time, to develop their characters or for you to even care or to even know their names. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it seems because as if the stakes were too high from the first five minutes of the episode where everything is just breakneck pace to mm-hmm. to do something that you don't even know if it has any bearing on the situation. Yeah, yeah. The because doctor to me, really doesn't get a chance to assess the problem. He just starts going into solving it, even though it, 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 the story would have been more interesting if he would have tried to solve the problem and been wrong because he assumed. Yeah. Because he just jumped in and maybe he learned some lesson that you can't just jump in. But he jumps in and hey, it's, the, it's, the, it's the nature of the doctor to be the hero and solve the problem and have all the answers. I just, yeah. overall, it just didn't work. It didn't work. And um, if it wasn't, like I said, if it wasn't for a few, a handful of scenes and, and, and the stuff, again, with Martha and, uh, and, and the doctor, I probably really would trash this episode, but some of those things worked very well. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the whole chemistry between, I think he, his name was Riley, the guy who was in the escape pod with Martha was quite nice. Um, the way that was explored, but again, it was far too brief, you know. Um, but that, that was the only characterization that we got from any one of these. Yeah, exactly. Characters. I so, mean, I was looking forward to everybody else dying because at least then something was happening and there was some action on the screen, and you know, there was something at least going on um, rather than just people running around and saying, "Right, what do we do now? Okay, we need to do this, that, and the other. Okay, do it. Okay, you stay here. You go there." It just felt rushed and. And in my, I don't know. Uh, in my quest for looking for for little uh, homages and, and little uh, nods, uh, Colwyn and James might maybe would put me in a little bit better, but uh, uh, the, the character name of, of Colwyn is maybe a nod to Krull, although definitely not the same. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, so. But that, but you know, that's, and Riley uh, Ripley. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> well, possibly. Um, I don't know. I kind of like the whole trivia thing going on on the website with all the reasons why 42 and, you know, references to, like, that was not only is it 42 minutes, but that was the year that Elvis died and things like that. And that was kind of the trivia section Elvis of the website. Elvis died in 1942? I thought it was, like, 1978 or something. 42. It's, oh, actually he was like, it's the reverse of 24. Yeah, that, There you go. And um, more importantly, it's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Well, to exactly. the ultimate question thereof. Yeah. That's true, it is the question. <laughs> but um, I, don't know, I don't know what else to say about this episode, other than I can, you can really try and see what they've attempted. You and know what? I have to tell you, the highlight of the entire... 45 minutes or so of watching this was the human nature preview. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, what's I was, the next I time mean, After watching that, I was like, wow! I was so excited. That was, like, to me, was a highlight. So, so this is this season's long game. 
probably. I think I think that's quite an accurate analysis, to be honest, Harris. Wow, well, for I me anyway. So opposed. <laughs> I <I'm> wonder <laughs> if you guys if you guys saw the same episode I did because I'm <laughs> well, absolutely. Tell us why I'm we're talking about it. I am flabbergasted at the reaction to this episode. I really, really am. I went into this episode having no idea about what it was going to be, thinking maybe there was something to do with uh, Douglas Adams, and was surprised to find that, in fact, the reference is to 24. And I love the fact that it was super fast-paced. I think that mm-hmm. the character development that you guys don't see is there if you're going to look for it, and that is, the captain was actually very deftly characterized. It's very subtle, but the acting on her, as well as the opportunities for her to explore some emotion, are very well realized. Uh, I, I really felt for her situation in maybe a, more, a grander way than the captain in um, Impossible Planet. To be honest with you, I was so caught up in the momentum of the episode and in the emotional content that was being delivered by the doctor, Martha, and let's not forget Martha's mother, that I didn't even recognize that it was like Impossible Planet except vaguely some um, visual design clues. Uh, I, I loved this episode. Absolutely. To me, this is the, the best plotted episode and when I discovered that it was Graham Harper directing, my mouth dropped open because I'm not a big fan of that guy. But in this episode, I, I, I was surprised he could deliver this kind of momentum, this kind of uh, action, because I was so disappointed by his work on the Cyberman episodes last season. This, was, this is the best thing this guy has ever directed for Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I, I well. I have I, I to say that I was questioning whether or not I was watching this, you know, Doctor Who as well because I I went back and watched it again this morning because I'm like, well, let's just watch it again. Maybe that first, you know, sometimes your mood or whatever might have some influence on your opinion on an episode. So I think let's just give it another shot and watch it again. And and I did that this morning and um, I, I did watch, I did enjoy it a little bit better because I just didn't have the expectations. When I first saw the trailer for the next time for this episode, I, I, I was kind of excited about it. It seemed really exciting, and I just thought it was going to be more than what it was. So maybe I, I, it's a victim of having higher expectations. So after watching it again, I think I liked it a little bit more. But um, to its credit, I, I, um, the pacing of it made me, you know, um, continue watching. I wasn't lo- looking at the clock, and it, it did carry you through without, you know. But you any... didn't need to look at the clock because it was right there. Yeah, well, the whole that's episode. true. <laughs> <laughs> and, but um, I mean, and to, the production to be fair, values and, and the CGI was incredible as always. Um, so, so that was there. But I, I just, I felt it was just lacking some substance. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, for me, the production value was superb. I even wrote a bit about it on the the website on the Gallifreyan Embassy that, you know, it's an interesting episode. You can see what they've tried to do, and it it was wonderfully executed. I love the whole kind of, in the, in the, the engine room, you've got engines that look like engines, and they've got steam coming off them, and everybody's greasy and grimy, and... That is superb. That's what is sci-fi should be about, not kind of big, glitzy spaceships with everything clean and nobody ever sweats or anything like that. But 
that wasn't the problem. The problem for me was the story. And just, come on, a son that's alive? The fact that people change physiologically so that they're over 100 degrees centigrade, the fact that the doctor can withstand temperatures minus, down to minus 200, all of this was just rubbish. Uh, one, thing I, one little tiny touch that I really, really appreciated was that he sort of mentions regeneration without it being a regeneration episode. And that yeah, is that's true. colossal. Because it seems like many times in Doctor Who's past, the Doctor is bordering on death and never mentions it. Mm-hmm. And this added yeah. a little bit of, rea- of, of realism to me because he's telling Martha to expect a regeneration, even though it doesn't happen. Yeah. Am I the only person that was actually terrified when the doctor said he was afraid? I mean, at that moment, I I lost it. I was like, this is really scary. It was very scary. It was a very scary episode because of the monster. Yeah, it's new ground for Doctor Who since, you know, the doctor never really admits to being afraid or scared. And so I think that was kind of new territory. And since this, um, whatever, this entity was taking over, you know, maybe his inhibitions and, and his ability to put a brave face on it, you know, you got to, you know, uncover his, him being frightened and scared and didn't know how it was going to turn out. So I, I think that was a, a, a interesting touch. Now, there was a lot of good things with this episode. It's just that, for me, the daftness of the the way science was treated in this uh, in this story just kind of distracted me from enjoying it as much as I could have. Mm. Well, that's one of my complaints with Doctor Who a lot, but, you know, everyone kind of, you know, reminds me that it's not science fiction, it's science fantasy, which is... True, well, but. usually it I can take something if it's an extrapolation where some things are changed or they on purpose change something. But yeah, to make like it... trying to pass something off as science that really isn't. Mm-hmm. It's almost like intelligent design, I thought, this, this episode. Just trying to put science to a concept when it really isn't scientific at all. And that annoyed me, I thought. I thought it gave the wrong message to kids. Um, yes, I, like Taris, I think the thing is, is that as long as it's got, a, you can you can take it if it's got a bit of artistic license on it. Like you say, if they adapt something or try to make something more conducive to the story, or you know, because it it is sci-fi, but it's very popular sci-fi, and so you don't want continuous techno babble like you have in in Star Trek and things like this. You don't want to put off the masses, and it's to a much wider audience. When they just do things that are just complete and utter rubbish, that, you know, you have, uh, uh, as you say, this, this escape pod so close to the sun, or the fact that the Doctor doesn't completely get burnt up, and the fact that the, that the people don't get burnt up when they're allegedly so close to the sun within minutes of crashing into it, which wouldn't be the least of your problems. I'd be more worried about the solar flares. But anyway... That aside, or a ship of that uh, type of design just being torn apart by tidal gravity forces. Yeah, the, the gravity exactly. of the sun. So many different things. You can't. You couldn't. I wouldn't even know where to begin to to sort of pull apart the science in this episode. What it did do, it did very well. But I think 
that everything there were bits of it which I enjoyed and were good, and I think we can all agree on that. The, the, the production value was terrific. The the monster was terrific. The interplay between Martha and the Doctor was terrific. What was bad was the crew. You didn't feel an empathy towards the crew. You didn't really care what happened to them. You looked forward to them dying. You know, it was almost like they were loads of addicts on the ship or something. <laughs> um, That's not fair. <laughs> but well, I, I there was know. a there was a jab at that with uh, the doctor saying, "Doesn't anybody teach recreational mathematics anymore?" <laughs> and I think maybe that was. Cinnaball poking fun at himself that he doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, who does recreational mathematics? There's no such thing. <laughs> well, maybe on that. Yeah, I, I didn't think that the 42-minute two, two deadline was at 42 minutes, they're going to crash into the sun. I took it as at 42 minutes, they're going to be so close to the sun that there's nothing that can possibly be done to help them escape. The sun's but that's fine. They did. But the thing is, they specifically said that impact. impact. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I would be cool with that as well. If, yeah, I okay. completely agree, mate. I would be cool with that if they'd have just explained that away and said, okay, we're going to burn up or we're, the gravity's going to get too high in so many minutes yeah. or whatever. I could, that I could appreciate. But crashing into the sun, I mean, they, they just went for complete spectacle and, and awe. And that's good. But too much of it is a bad thing. And I think there was too much in this that was just done for complete spectacle and the science just went out of the window, which I know it's predominantly for kids, but I don't think that's good, a good thing. I think you have to be at least somewhat accurate in what you're saying. And there was nothing about this that was accurate, I, I thought, anyway. I mean, the story, okay, you can appreciate the art, some artistic license there, but come on, at least get the, the, the core science right. And they didn't. They got it completely wrong, I'm afraid. And... That annoyed me the most, I think. I could take the the, the rest of the floors and, and things like that. and the, Because the monster was just superb. And I don't and I loved the creepy helmet. That just scared the hell out of me. Um, because it, it even made them, the, 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 the people who had been possessed or whatever, completely faceless. And th- th- you did think that they were just completely moralless killers. Yeah. Um, nice nod to ambassadors in space. Yeah. And I think also something that which we haven't really discussed is that a lot of themes in this episode were um, were brought out in, of course, um, uh, Planet of Evil, uh, that particular story, um, which is a nice nod, of course, to the classic series. But they, it just yeah. didn't seem like it knew where it wanted to go, the episode. James, I, I think what you were saying about the, the whole science aspect of it, I think with any time you're doing storytelling and science fiction or science fantasy, if you will, is that um, you need to have some sort of ratio between real science and bubblegum science. And you need to have for every, like, you know, three bubblegum science um, aspects of a story, you need to have um, seven real science things to kind of ground it. Because if if you if you're telling a tale and you want to carry the audience over, it has to be believable. And if you can follow, if you, if A, B, C is believable, then, and D is absurd, but you're more likely to buy D, even though it's absurd because A, B, and C were believable. Well, it's a question of whether you could suspend your disbelief. And here I just could not because some of the things were just so ridiculous. Yeah. Ludicrous. 
and that for me was the the biggest flaw I think in this in this episode as a whole. Aside from something which I, mean, I would be interested to hear Darth's opinion about this because he he seems to be the only one of us who, who well I think I enjoyed the episode. Don't get me wrong. I, I, it's just very easy to find. Oh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this episode a lot as well. It's just that you had this distraction of just stuff that just didn't make sense. Yeah. And that and for me like was they, what let it down, and it could have it could have achieved so much more. And they had to introduce the, the silly deadlock seal again to keep the uh, sonic screwdriver out because they've relied on that thing so much in the past that they had to get that out of the equation. It was nice to see that the doctor couldn't solve this issue with the sonic screwdriver, so that yeah. is another plus for this story. Yeah. But he was able to engage universal roaming on Martha's cell phone with it, where Doctor Number Nine had to take it apart and, you know, fiddle with it a little bit more. And I, I thought, you know, that was better back when you know Christopher Eccleston had to actually physically, you know, do something to the phone to make it work than just wave the sonic screwdriver over it. Uh, yeah. Rose had an older. Well, we were introduced to that in the middle of the process, so we don't know if he was doing some other okay. spokery mm-hmm. before that. Uh, I'll give you that, yes. Jiggery-pokery, indeed. Yes. So what I, what I was going to say is that what I would be interested to hear Dart's opinion about, which is I think the thing that I loathed the most about this episode was Martha's mum. Yeah, she's really Just, not likable, is she? She's, I mean, she's playing, she's playing that sort of unlikable character because she doesn't know the Doctor. But I don't, I don't understand this whole why does she not trust the Doctor? Why, where did this come from? I never picked it up. I never picked up where this sort of hatred for him comes. Other than well, supposedly, Harold Paxson it, has given her all this information about the Doctor and how bad and yeah, evil he is. And of course, but, I mean, would you believe it if some random bloke on the street came up to you and whispered some gibberish into your ear about some but, guy who you've only just met? But isn't met? this guy going to be the person, Prime Minister? If it's a person in authority, like a policeman or an undercover officer that gives you some information which we don't know what they actually told her then Mm. you may have suspicions and if your daughter then disappears off the face of the earth literally you're gonna you're gonna be worried and you'll do anything to get your daughter back worried is one thing I, i don't understand you know it just seems quite strange to me. I, I, that something about it, I, I can understand what you're saying, but something about it just doesn't gel for me. And I can't... Well, we know, may have to wait till the series finale for that to gel. To fully appreciate it, yeah. Maybe you're right. The, maybe the you're same right, thing but, with The Bad Wolf. Nobody really had a clue as to exactly what that was all about until it finally got revealed in the ultimate episode. Yeah, yeah, that's my, true. My, my yeah, but comfort with, with uh, Martha's mother, um, I'm willing to put that aside only because I think that's something that's going to play out long term. So. Okay, and, and it's just me then. It's <laughs> deliberate that they that you make that the audience is uncomfortable with her. Yeah, so, I'm, okay. I'm sure that it's on purpose. Um, she's very dislikable, of course. Um, but I just don't understand how someone as lovely as Martha could have come from that. You know, she just seems like such a hater and the complete opposite of Martha, who seems really trusting. And she can all the time. She trusts the doctor. She believes in the doctor. She understands and appreciates him. And I don't understand how 
her opinion could be so well, different from her mother. Look at look at look at the skip generation. No, but look at the contact <laughs> she's had. If you if you look at what contact she's actually had with the doctor, it's not a very favorable impression that she forms because in the little bit of time that she talks to him, she finds out that probably the doctor is sleeping with her daughter after having only met her a day before, that um, he's an exceptionally rude person who will just brush by her and spill a drink on her without even saying that he's sorry. Um, and then she's got the whispering of Harold Saxon into her ear that something that we don't know about yet is happening. That's bad. And every time uh, that the doctor is around and she sees, or the one time, I guess, there's clearly something that could kill her daughter who is uh, attendant to the doctor. There's not that much know, this, this woman has to think that the doctor is good. That's true. And the first words that the doctor utters to her are basically a lie where she's told me all about you, and then when she calls him on it, it's like uh, there's nothing there. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But it just seems weird to me how her ki- all of her kids can trust the doctor and can see that he saved the day, which clearly he has with in the, the Lazarus um, experiment episode. She doesn't see that. She just sees this guy who is rude to her. And you'd be, no offense, but if someone had just saved my life, I'd be quite willing to forgive him if he was a bit rude and spilled a drink on me. <laughs> Which seems to me to be the only substance other than, you know, this aid of Mr. Saxon has come and whispered a few words into her I think the characterization is right on because you've got to remember she's a woman who's uh, just gone through a divorce. Her husband's running off with this younger girl. She's trying to latch on to anything she can, including her daughter, who's run off mm-hmm. with this bloke. Fair play. And uh, she's projecting herself. You've got uh, me there. That's that's uh, yeah, true. Yeah, I, I that's think true. Make it actually completely accurate. And and James, you hit the nail on the head when you said um, any, everybody can see that the doctor uh, saved the world, but she didn't actually see that. Not yeah. at all. So, you know, what's she gonna think? Except that she, she's uh, the doctor is putting her daughter into jeopardy. Not that the doctor is getting her daughter out of jeopardy. Hmm. And the interesting thing, too, about this particular episode is that we see another uh, aspect of characterization with her in that, unlike the last episode where she seemed to sort of take Harold Saxon completely on board, here it seems as though she's skeptical of Harold Saxon's attendance as well. So she's on the fence in this episode, which is interesting. I, I think that's leading to a catharsis where she's going to, in the future, this is my speculation, is that she's going to turn around and, you know, where she's going to, you know, go against Harold Saxon. And, you know, there's going to be some point where she's going to flip sides, really. I hope so. I hope so, because it seems like she's, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the portrayal, the actress, um, I, I forget her surname, Adua Ando or something like that portrays her very well and she is very mm-hmm. dislikable and you you just know that everything that she's doing is wrong and you want to sort of hate her for it or dislike her for it in in a in a big way which is i think is what's needed because you need to know that something sinister is going on and that she's making a really big mistake and 
all of these sorts of things. Um, it's just I just didn't really understand why she had this big vendetta against the Doctor, and I guess it kind of makes sense with what Ken had said about you know this whole thing with her husband and everything else, because it seems that really, especially in, in Smith and Jones, and, and it seems that Martha's the most mature person in her entire family. It seems like she's more of a mother to everybody than her mum is. Her mum is just sort of heartbroken and annoyed and upset that her husband has run off with this younger woman. But, you know, it's not like she's being strong. She just seems like she's throwing tantrums every five minutes, which I don't know. Maybe that's intentional. Don't forget, too, that we get a clue very early on in episode one that Reggie's sort of done the wrong thing romantically. In that, in the background, it's very clear that Reggie is in a relationship, and he's not married because he's not wearing a wedding ring. Um, but that he's apparently had a child out of wedlock already. That can't have gone over well with Martha's mother. And uh, so I think that the romantic threat that the doctor makes towards Martha might make. Uh, Francine. Oh, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just me because you guys seem to get it. I think it's just probably I me. Think, it's something that I've been they, lost they, on. They've painted her in the first half of this series as being someone who's very vulnerable, and she's gone through a lot of issues, and that she's this is her. You know, she's she's breaking down, and she's susceptible yeah. to. Who, whoever comes along and, and plants something in her ear, and that's what Saxon is doing. Yeah, playing on the, this vulnerability. Perhaps you're right, and perhaps I'm just missing it because we've not really seen much characterization there, and it's just you're kind of meant to read in between the lines here and just accept it, which is maybe what I, I'm not capable of doing right now. And as you say, we, we have... I mean, we're, we're just approximately sort of halfway through the series, so... There's still plenty of time for that to be picked up on, I think. And um, But I, I'm really excited about the next episode. It seems like it's going to be a, a cracker of uh, of a show in mean, the next yeah. two-parter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the family of blood, is it, or something like that? Yes. Well, let's go around and give our TARDIS groans for this episode, and then let's open it up for anyone else that would like to comment. Uh, please put yourself in the queue. There's up in the upper right-hand corner of the talk shoe client. Uh, just enter yourself in the queue if you would like to participate and give us your feedback on this episode. Uh, so, but going around, um, I guess I'll start it off with um, giving my TARDIS groans. Um, I would like to give it... Um, see, I know we've said in the beginning of our reviewing process, early on with Smith & Jones and the Shakespeare Code and Gridlock, that it's hard to give a rating because we don't, haven't seen the other episodes, so we don't know how they're going to compare to the other episodes of, of the series. And, and I feel like I'm now up against that problem myself now, because if I recall correctly, I think I gave the Shakespeare Code three out of five TARDIS groans. And, um, and I want to give this three out of five, but I have to say that I did enjoy this episode more than the Shakespeare Code, so, um, but, I, but I enjoyed it less than Gridlock, so... Um, I'd, About three and so, a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> if I could, yes. If, if if that was possible, I would give it three and a quarter. But, um, but I'm gonna that, or I have to bump down the Shakespeare Code to two and a half, and then give this three. But I, I don't know if, we, if but whatever. That, that, generally, that's what I give this episode. Um, I thought the production values were good. Um, 
again, I overall, I just the whole story just seemed very familiar. Be it that it was an impossible planet, but also the whole fact that the sun turned out to be a living entity and they didn't realize it is very Star Trek ish to me because there, I think yeah, there's it was, one or two episodes. Right. Where um, I don't know, they go through some sort of space nebula and it's alive and they didn't realize it, or you know they were harming things. It, it just seems very um, post Roddenberry Star Trek like um, storytelling. Unoriginal, I, basically. Yeah, it just seemed very. Even the sound effects in this episode just seems like well, haven't we heard these? Like the alarms was, I don't know. It just it had a very too familiar feel to it, and um, and I think it would have worked better for me if this if we had some other off earth off um yeah off earth adventures that were very much different than the impossible planet and satan's pit that was sandwiched between these two it just that it just seemed too close to those and granted okay they're returning back to that same time and but that wasn't apparent in this episode you know you know obviously it is visually but you didn't know that in in the storytelling of it so that's where I would. That's what I would give it. Um, Ken, I give it two and a half TARDIS groans uh, because I'm split right down the middle. I agree with you that it's way too uh, impossible planet and Satan pit for my liking, uh, and, I, and I'm talking from a purely X's and O's point of view, with the airlocks and the spacesuits and the whole bit. Uh, but the flip side of the coin is that the, the space pod scene and, and a few of these moments really well handled. Um, uh, the little touches, like mentioning the regeneration and stuff like that, uh, to me are, are flashes of brilliance. So I have to split my, you know, if you had to, had to be 50-50 right down the line, two and a half TARDIS groans is the way to go. Okay. Very good. Uh, James? For me, I'm going to have to give this three TARDIS groans out of five, and I'm demoting it two sort of groans. Firstly, I think it's obvious because I've kind of farted on about it at great length throughout the podcast, and that is just the, 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 the poor science of the episode. Um, as Lewis correctly mentioned, I don't mind a bit of rubbish in there to, to, to liven up the story and, and kind of put in the sense of wonder and and excitement and that sort of thing, but it has to be grounded on 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 science, and you can you can take a bit of license, you know, like things like the absorber off and all that kind of stuff um, from the previous series, and a bit of silliness here and there because it is Doctor Who, and you have to remember that, and it is for a very wide audience and things. But this episode for me seemed to have just too much rubbish and not enough science and maybe that's just the the cynic in me and and all that but i, I just i don't think it's healthy to to do that and it's grounding it's, james in science exactly <laughs> I, I think it's fair enough if you want to do that but it's not i don't see a doctor who is, is sci-fi fantasy i've okay there is artistic license there but the core of it the, the base of it has always been in science i think um, it is science fiction, no matter what anybody tells you, or it's a sci-fi drama. And I guess the, the other star that I'm going to have to, to sort of demote it there is just for the sheer similarities between um, The Impossible Planet. I thought that it was very well the, the way it was done, um, 
but I didn't like the great thing for me about the Impossible Planet stroke the Satan Pit was the the character development. You really Mm -hmm. felt for the characters when they died or when something happened to them. Um, In this, you didn't get that, and I think that was just through the sheer limitations of the confines of the script in that it had to be 42 two minutes and and all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, But other than that, the production value is superb. You can really kind of see what they tried to do with the story. Um, The monster was terrific. Um, There were so many um, sort of home runs there, but it's very easy, I think, because there was a lot of negative things as well to to, um, pull the episode to pieces more so than other episodes of Doctor Who. Sometimes you can just accept those things, but in this one, for me, you couldn't, which is why I'm giving it three stars, uh, three groans. Mm-hmm. Okay, Taras, I know you don't like to give uh, TARDIS groans ratings, so, but just um, your recap and overall how you felt about this um, story. Yeah, I thought the, uh, the direction and the, uh, the set design and the look of the episode re- made up a lot for some of the deficiencies in the script. And I believe Graham Harper did a great job with the pacing of the episode, mm-hmm. even though there was a lot of silly stuff that we're having to deal with here. But uh, with the exception of the script, which I thought was reminiscent of uh, a Torchwood rehash, which is what this kind of felt like, where we're getting all these elements put together kind of a la a Torchwood episode, and it kind of seemed a bit more like a Torchwood episode than a Doctor Who episode. But uh, I think as far as an overall, it would probably be about an average episode. But uh, there were a lot of good things in this, but the uh, some of those silly ideas that fly in the face of physics and biology just uh, kept me from considering this as a good or excellent episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Mr. Darth. Well, um, yeah. there's a dog. Um, <laughs> he, he or she can give her his or her opinion as well. Oh, there's at least two. Okay, so, um, oh, three, very good. Um, five, four and a half, five, somewhere in there. Um, I just didn't see the problems that you guys saw in the episode. Uh, you know, one of the things that I really liked about it was, uh, in addition to the emotional content, which I thought was really up there, um, what was in fact the, the whole idea of the living sun, because that actually harkens back to an old tradition in Doctor Who comics, I don't know why I always go back to that. Oh, because I'm always writing about Dr. Thomas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in, in the 60s and 70s, in the annuals and in TV comics, that was a very standard ploy back then. There was all, anytime there was a monster, it was because you were doing something to the planet that was wrong, and it was just to teach mm-hmm. you know, all the kids watching it. Don't, you never know what you're going to do if you try to steal something from Mother Nature. So I like that. I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense to me that that's in this very um, 60s throwback heavy season. Um, I, the characterization of the minor characters, um, 
granted, you don't get to know them in their own right necessarily, but to the extent that you're giving character bits about them, they serve to amplify the emotional story that's going on between the Doctor and Martha, which is what this story is really all about. And to me, this is the best Doctor and Martha story that we've had so far. And that's saying something, because we've had some good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's altogether appropriate that this is the, the first sort of um, journey that we get where she really is a true, full companion. I, I don't know. Maybe over time, the whole science thing, maybe that will bother me a little bit more. But I was having too much fun in the episode to really care that much about it. And, and there, are plenty, there are plenty of Doctor Who episodes where I really do care that the science is all messed up, but I, I didn't in this one, and I, I think it's just due to the fact that I was freaking scared out of my mind. I mean, I think that the kids had it right on the um, the official site when they gave this one a five. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't ask for too much more from Doctor Who. Plus, another thing that I think is really good about this episode is this is one of those very special episodes from this new version of Doctor Who that I think that I could show to my friends who don't know anything about Doctor Who and they'd really like it. Mm-hmm. We have anything, any kind of knowledge about Doctor Who to sit down in front of this thing and think, oh, that's exciting, that's good, that's cool. And, and it might even be used in the same way that I use Tooth and Claw um, and Throw in the Fireplace to get people who don't know anything about Doctor Who to start watching Doctor Who. Yeah, it's sort of capsulized, and it doesn't, and with the exception of the Harold Saxon stuff, which really didn't, you know, wouldn't interfere with the storytelling or the enjoyment of this episode. You don't have to know a lot to get into this. Yeah. The the other thing that the point that you made as far as um, the Doctor and Martha's relationship in this episode, this is obviously when the when the Doctor ex- really accepts Martha as a true companion gives her the keys to the TARDIS and as we saw it opens with him adjusting the phone so that you know he can she can call home and all that so it's no longer okay just for a trip into the past and now okay one into the future and it's sort of like okay you're you're in yeah and, and you know another really cool thing about this episode is in terms of characterization too was when Martha's talking to her mother this is the first chance that we get to see that there's some kind of um tension between her and her mother because throughout the rest of the episodes it has seemed like she's the peacemaker and she tries to find a way to navigate and in this episode she's really shown to have little tolerance and of course it's because she's under pressure but still I don't think that we had a sense that she had that side to her before this episode mm-hmm. kind of cool. yeah I thought it worked well with her conversations with her mother and, and how that played out and you can sense that you know the mother was going into an area that she didn't want to talk about because she didn't really want to dwell into the whole doctor you know thing and that how he's wrong for her and all that because maybe they had this conversation in the past with other um, guys she may had interest in you know had an interest in and um, she's trying to avoid that and steer the conversation and can't you just tell me what you had for breakfast or you know what you watched on telly last night or something like that like, like that and you can see there was some sort of struggle there that was probably not the first time that they went through that. Yeah. Um, Prima is really good in those moments where she has to give in the space of a second an emotion that is a common sort of emotion that uh, a lot of people share 
in certain archetypal emotional situations, she's really good at being able to find an interesting way to play that emotion that you're like, oh, I didn't expect her to go that way, but when she did, it totally makes sense that she went that way. Mm-hmm. Really like it. Okay, so you, how, you gave it, uh, you already gave your TARDIS grown rating on it, okay. Yeah, about a four and a half, but you know, over time, that, that science thing really, it might bug me after I watch it more times, I don't know. Yeah. Well, when the series concludes, we'll have a wrap-up episodes and we'll, you know, a wrap-up podcast, and everyone will have a chance to reevaluate maybe their TARDIS groans on any particular episode. We're going to um, open this up to our listeners, and waiting in the wings is Dave. We're going to go to him first, and once again, anyone else that would like to participate and put yourself in the queue, and we'll get to you. So first up here is Dave. Hey, Dave. Hi, Lisa. Hey, good to have you back. Dave is um, in the UK from um, um, Hyde, Man- right? Manchester, that's right. Man- Manchester, okay. Well, come out so- in the open then. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, uh, Manchester United, I believe, lost yesterday, didn't they? I, I don't watch football. I'm, not bothered. I'm waiting for the tennis to start. That's, that's my uh, sporting gig. Uh, but just to get back to the uh, the 42, um, I, I'm glad the last couple of speakers have been more in favour of the story because I enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't a spectacular episode, but it it moved along very nicely. Once it started, it was a non-stop ride, and I'm sure all the younger uh, viewers will have really enjoyed it. I think, uh, in one sense, it was one of the best episodes in which they used the time slot. I didn't see any wasted minutes of dialogue, and I know that's been criticised by one or two other speakers in the way that you didn't really have any invested interest in the crew. But by the heck, I mean, if someone's going to be dying off in five, ten minutes, I don't know how the director can, or the writer can get that in. Um, so given the actual um, remit of the story, if you will, the, the, the enclosed ship, the, uh, the, the doom coming up, um, the, the way they have to solve the problems to get out of the situation, the fact that the uh, the TARDIS was uh, unreachable. Um, I think one or two people on forums I've been reading missed the fact that uh, the Doctor tried to get in back to the TARDIS, but the tremendous heat and steam had prevented him from doing so. So from that point on, um, yes, uh, Ken was perhaps quite to, to criticise the fact that the Doctor just jumps in and takes control, and maybe one day he'll make the wrong assessment. But if you can take that on board, it moves on a, a really good, exciting pace. And I think uh, it was nice not to have a big CGI monster, not to have a mechanical monster, uh, but to have this possession. Uh, possession. Now, I realise then that throws up another problem, because it harks back to the impossible planet and the similar storyline there. But I made this reference before. If this was the first series of Doctor Who, starting with uh, Smith and Jones, I think everybody would be delighted with all these episodes. The stories themselves have been really great. It's just this pattern, again, Ken's the one who picked up on it, that's... Um, made us think, I oh, know, it's going to be the history one this time, it's going to be the ghost star, uh, magical one this time, mm-hmm. and now we're into the far future. Um, so I do think that 
detracts somewhat from the episode. But if you take it in isolation, it was a really good adventure. Um, I think Tara uh, Tar- uh, said that the pacing was good, and I think it really was. You, The time really was by, and you had a really good story. And um, one other thing, Lewis, I'm going to finish soon, is that you mentioned that you know now um, Martha's in the TARDIS. Well, I think basically she's earned the stripes. Uh, she's earned that key. She's earned um, the right to be to get the phone or whatever it is, and to be taken on board as a full companion. She's done a lot more than some companions have in the past. And um, yes, I thought it was a highly enjoyable episode. On the forum, I rated it a four because there wasn't the choice of three and a half, but it was certainly three and a half to four. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. And looking forward to the Scarecrows next week. Mm-hmm. Back to you, Lewis. I'm fine with that. No, very good, Dave. Thank you so much. I, I um, You know, you bring up a very valid point that if this was the the 2005 series, uh, that, you know, we would obviously wouldn't be making any complaints that this is too much similar to these other episodes because we wouldn't have those episodes to compare them with. So it would be all fresh and exciting. But um, I think Ken's point is that we, in the past, the Doctor Who, we never really had um, every series, every season, if you will, have a similar formula or episodes that are very similar to the ones before it, or I, I don't know, um, perhaps that we're just in a different state of reality today. They are in danger of getting a bit formulaic about it, and that is really the main criticism of the, of the episode itself. But for one parter, they crammed an awful lot in it, and um, repeating myself, I think most of the younger viewers would have thought it was a cracking episode. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, I'd like to hear what anybody else thinks. Uh, okay. Thinking. Yeah, we have... Um, Thank you, Dave, and um, thanks again Cheers, for participating and being a part of the show, as always. And thanks, guys. Dave's very active on our forums. Check him out at thegallifernembassy.org or pachoff.net. We'll get you there as well. And we're going to go to uh, DM Walling, who's waiting in the wings. Hello. Hey. Hi. This is Diane in Sarasota. Um, everything I was going to say, Dave just said. Uh, I, 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 like, I was going to say that. I was going to say that too. <laughs> uh, funny uh, when, when Lewis did his review at the top of the show, he was saying exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, it became really clear, uh, quickly apparent that they were going to do a, a real time format, and uh, you know, so it. I was a little bit critical in the beginning, but then once you get into it, it just starts rolling and it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really enjoyed that. It's um, There were some things about the science, and yeah, listening to you guys now, it's like, well, yeah, you're kind of right about that, and yeah, you're right about that too. But it didn't it didn't stop me from enjoying the episode at all. And in fact, it you know I found myself like going, oh my god, getting all excited and you know, thinking how they're going to get out of it. Um, but, yeah, there were a lot of elements that they did really well. And I'm not as concerned about the fact that it looked like a Satan Pit, Impossible Planet, um, because 
it seems like I've been watching a lot of the older episodes because I've been trying to convert my videotapes over to DVD format, mm-hmm. and it's just there's no comparison to what they're doing now. Um, and even if you look at some of the other shows, a lot of the a lot of the way the sets were set up and the way the spaceships were laid out, you see a lot of that on Battlestar Galactica. So I don't think it's necessarily that they're repeating themselves. It's just that that's the particular image that we have of spaceships at this time. Uh, I don't know if you watched the Confidential, but Russell T. Davies was talking yeah. about, you know, if you look at each each decade and how they envision spaceships, it's like in the 60s, yeah, they looked like the 60s. And in the 70s, they, even though they were spaceships in the future, they still looked like the 70s. And this is... What are noughties, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the image that we have of spaceships. We don't do the gleaming white, you know, sparse corridors. I mean, I was really struck at watching the old episodes at how sparse the sets are. I mean, even when they're they're a lot of some stuff was filmed in real places, it was still very very sparse. And then you just look at the stuff that they're doing now, all the detail. And, uh, you know, what they, if they can't find a place that looks like that, you know, they build it and they just add all these little, little details, little things, little wires, little pipes, you know, smoke pouring out, the lighting. Uh, and it's just gorgeous. It's like I, I've got to give it a, a four out of five I, just, just for the sheer enjoyment of it. I, you know, it, it, it's Doctor Who. You really can't get that deep into the science of it because it is – television it's just a tv show but you gotta really look at it at how it makes you feel and i felt it hit everything it it had 42 minutes to drop them into a situation set it up this you know set up the problem uh introduce the supporting characters and yeah you didn't get to know a lot of them but any show you're going to have that you got your red shirts in the beginning that, that they're only there to die <laughs> um, but they they give the effect to the other characters, and I thought the captain was really well realized, and she really uh, her ending really did bring about some redemption that it was her fault, and you know she made the sacrifice to to try to help the rest to get out, but you know took the punishment for what she had done, and then there was a nice moment with the the guy and and Martha in the the escape pod where you know there's been a change on his life. You know, he was maybe okay with living that type of life, but after meeting her, then maybe he realizes he needs a little bit more to it. So he had a change. And then there was the whole, uh, you know, the doctor realizing he's in over his head and, you know, he got into a bit of trouble here and maybe it's going to be the end for him in, in his sphere. Um, but, yeah, I just love the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, let, oh, let's not forget that the uh, the captain saved the doctor's life. Yeah, she's not that minor a character. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like they they had they had fewer characters than you know even in Impossible Planet. There were a lot more crew members, and some of them you didn't get to know at all. And like basically, they were just there to die. Uh, so I didn't have a, a problem with that. Well, I, I like the captain's character. I think Captain McDougal, McDougal, McDonald, I can't remember. But uh, I just wish we had more of her, to, uh, that we got to see more of her just to enjoy her more. It just seemed it was all too brief. 
Well, it was kind of, you know, that was that was a, a limitation, I guess, that was pre-built into the the story that they, yeah. they were only going to have this 42 exactly. minutes, mm-hmm. and you got to do it. And I'm I'm rather relieved that at least they left some people alive at the end, uh, because you know, even in a lot of the older episodes, there were so many things where you know the Doctor's companion shows up, and at the end, everybody's dead, and they're the only ones left, you know, who escape. So, like I said, I was just relieved it wasn't a total bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I, I think I've made mention in, in past pod shops about is that as, as often as we are critical about things in the current series, I think I can speak for Lewis and James as well as myself in that we're always grateful we have it. Mm-hmm. And our criticisms of the episodes are, are never to bash the show or put it down or whatever. It's always that... We we we've set such a high watermark. We want it to continue, um, and and you know we're always supporting the show. And, and and hearing your opinions and hearing different opinions, I, I start to think, okay, well, yeah, maybe you're, you're right. You know, when I rewatch it, maybe I'll focus more on the captain and and give it a, a second thought or take it from a different perspective. But I, I'm 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 basically saying that because I don't ever want anybody to ever think that that. This is 1988 or 1989 all over again, where we're knocking the show and then it disappears. That's mm-hmm. never what it's all about, you know. Because if if I if I thought that the show was disappearing, I'd give every every story five Tardis groans, and that would be the end of it. Um, <laughs> I just I just think that they we we've set such a high watermark in, in the first and even the second series. I want it to continue, and I. And, and the patterns are more what irks me than even any individual story. Yeah, I mean it's it's not that um, that. And it's only it, because it I like... know that uh, it's only because I know that formula equals death when it comes to television. Yeah. Especially yeah. science fiction television. Yeah, I agree. Well, the whole point of science fiction is to break formula. Yeah. yeah, to be different, to uh, be innovative and inspire and do something completely different. And I think uh, that Doctor Who fans are very quick to, to point out when that isn't the case on Doctor Who, because Doctor Who has always been a highly innovative show. Yeah. And I mean, the format itself lends it to it, where you have a vehicle that can take you any time and any place. The, the, the possibilities are limitless. Hmm. Like mm. well, yeah, and I I like the like the fact that they're able to take to to take some challenges too. You know, this is like this is the first time they've done one in real time, right. and you know until you do it, you never know how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. I mean, certainly in terms of the, a lot of it's kind of a bit paradoxical how in this episode a lot of things that they did were innovative and were different you have to give them that and and they were kind of raising the bar on that level but at the same time i think what let it down was also the fact that it was also rooted in in things that had been gone before like the impossible fight the satan pit you know and that kind of is 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 what let it down for me as well aside from the whole science thing i mean i know dan you said but of course, it's it's sci-fi. You have to take everything with a little pinch of salt. But for me, it was just I thought that was too much. You had to take too much salt. It wasn't a little pinch. It was like a whole pile, and that for me was the reason why I, I was got kind of 
got on my high horse and ran with the whole science thing in this podcast, I suppose. Lewis, do we have anybody else in the queue? Uh, no, we were just going to wrap things up, actually. Well, actually, I, then I wanted to ask a quick question. If we, um, and, and this does really be up to just about everybody, uh, if every, anybody or everybody has caught the Captain Jack trail that was online. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. And if we could we could speak about it for, for a few seconds, and I don't know how, how much of a spoiler that is. The Captain yeah, Jack trail? I take it that um, what Ken is referring to is, is when John Barrowman was interviewed on um, Jonathan Ross recently because he's doing a thing about um, with uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber um, called Any Dream Will Do, which is where they're kind of finding the cast member for um, Joseph's technical dream coat, that sort of thing, on BBC sort of reality TV show. He went on Jonathan Ross, which is a big chat show here in the UK, um, Sort of like David Letterman, only camper. Um, <laughs> they uh, they showed a clip from um, I think Utopia, right? Uh, yeah. It's kind of almost like a sort of a preview to Utopia, um, and it's available on YouTube. I think if you you go and search for the um, Jonathan Ross interview with John Barrowman, and also it's available on our forums if you head over there. Um, it's about Captain Jack's return. There's a thread there, and also about Utopia, I think. Um, but it basically shows um, the Doctor landing in Cardiff and kind of opening up the engines in the TARDIS, explaining to Martha that it's on the rift and everything else, and that occasionally he has to stop and park and soak up some energy so that he can travel in time. And when he's doing this. Um, Captain Jack you see outside, in, he does it, of course, in Cardiff Bay, and Captain Jack is screaming Doctor and running towards the TARDIS, and, and the Doctor sees this on his little computer screen and um, is, quickly tries to, to, to take off to avoid, a, I suppose, a, a meeting with Captain Jack. And um, you see the Captain Jack sort of dives towards the TARDIS, and then the TARDIS takes off, uh, just as the TARDIS is taking off. And then you see the Doctor is moaning about the fact that... Um, they're going so far in, in, into the future towards the end of time. And then the final thing that you see is the fact that Captain Jack is sort of clinging onto the TARDIS, you know, screaming, Doctor. It's uh, very, very cool. Um, just to kind of give a brief vortex. summary. Yeah, within the time vortex, of course. Sorry, yes, I should have mentioned. Thank you, Captain. So Captain Jack is clinging onto the outside of the TARDIS in the time vortex, uh, screaming. And yeah. I think the, the big question is, why is the Doctor avoiding Captain Jack? Yeah, that's a huge um, question. I mean, well, maybe he doesn't want to explain about Rose, or maybe there's... His regeneration, even. Regeneration, yeah. Well, he had Captain Jack get in the way of his relationship with Rose earlier, and now he's got a new girl in his TARDIS, and he doesn't <laughs> want Captain Jack ruining the relationship. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how Quite much awesome. I like this whole tenant doctor being jealous thing, you know, with his look to her after she kissed the crew member in 42. I, I, you know, I, uh, let's not do that. <laughs> I should just interject in that uh, a wonderful chap called Jamie Irvin on, uh, or Irvine on uh, TalkShoe has alerted me to the fact that, um, well, everyone to the fact indeed, that the clip is also available on Freema Adjuman's website, freemaadjuman.com, if you can't find it in YouTube or on the Gallifreyan Embassy. Mm-hmm. 
And, and that's just a reminder to everyone that's listening, uh, um, not to the live show, but after it's gone out, that you can participate even uh, just by listening and using the chat room on TalkShoe in, uh, in real time. You can be chatting with us while we're doing the show. Now, yeah. I think the reason they chose to show this clip is I believe it was a few months ago a section of the script for this particular episode that includes this clip had appeared uh, online. And uh, I remember some brouhaha about uh, complaining about the person that posted that. Really? I wasn't aware of this. That's uh, good to know, Charles. So you think they've, they've sort of posted this clip because they sort of had to because everybody has been well, fighting on about it online? Just because it was already out there, so this way... Right. It kind of confirms what people already know. Yeah. Hmm. So right now, Lewis is chugging through the forums looking for the clip. No, no. Probably. (laughs) But it certainly is interesting, and I think everybody is just keen to to know how it's going to play out, because we know a little bit about Utopia in that there's going to be this professor who is trying to to save his planet, of course, played by the wonderful Derek Jacobi, um, who, for those of you who aren't familiar with him but are familiar with Doctor Who, he, of course, um, played the master in The Scream of Schalke um, on the, the webcast um, played the on, doctor on the BBC site. Like. Yes, he or did indeed. A well, possible doctor. Possible doctor. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that is, is where you can, can see him, but he plays this professor who is trying to save his planet, according to the synopsis, but we're not quite sure how. But at least now we know that it may be at the end of the universe, or fairly close to it at least, anyway. Um, if indeed they do go to the end. Yeah, there's a good restaurant there. No yeah, way. they should uh, check in. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us back to 42. <laughs> it's sort of roundabout way. Mm. So, um, I think we've gone past 42 minutes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, quite, by quite a long way, I'm sure. Maybe. In, a, in, a, uh, in a quick news, uh, news brief, of course, they had some exciting um, DVD release information happen uh, over the last couple of days. And, oh, yeah, um, it's the key to time. and. Um, well, for the UK, key to time. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. One of the Are we doing, we we're doing news? <laughs> That's a familiar sound we haven't heard in a while. The DVD stuff is always great because it's it's just great. Yeah, it is fun. I'm looking forward to that because uh, it's something that in the UK I've been eagerly awaiting. And it's one of those rare things that you've had in the US before um, we've had in the UK, which is kind of almost unheard of in, uh, in Doctor, for Doctor Who anyway. And you guys are getting uh, the Time Warrior, I think. Yeah, that's right, as well. I think there's an addition in a separate uh, sort of DVD or box set or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm, another Suntaran release. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to make too much of this, but uh, the 2007 release schedule contains an awful lot of stories with the Master. Hmm. Oh, we'll see how that uh, plays out. I mean, um, I mean, last year, last year saw a lot of DVDs with uh, Cybermen in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the invasion, and we got to review that, by the way. It's an excellent DVD. You were watching it yeah. yesterday, weren't you? Yes, 
I was listening to the commentary. We need to, we need to do another DVD review. Maybe we can do it over TalkShoe at some point. We could um, sync our DVD players or something like that. I know we've been meaning to for a long time. Well, we've been meaning to do a heck of a lot of things on Podshock for a while. We still have to... Um, to pick a winner for the uh, the exhibition, yes. well, for the, we, the match. we all, must do that. Yeah, we you haven't know, been all like together to do a studio one in a, quite a time. Exactly, and I think that's why also we've been kind of said, oh yeah, we'll do some DVD reviews, and yeah, it just hasn't materialized. So I think we do apologize for those that submitted their promos, their excellent promos, and we will promise you we will get to them. It's just that we've been wrapped up doing these live shows, reviewing each new episode, and. Um, you know, with um, we're all kind of tied up with our schedules, and it's just been hard to do. But we will do. Yeah, it. the iPod Nano is building a thick layer of dust on uh, Lewis's shelf. Well, maybe <laughs> by the time <laughs> we pick a winner, there'll be a new iPod. <laughs> You'll be getting something better than what we promised. Well, there you go. All right. Well, just so, like the format of Doctor Who lends itself to go anywhere and do anything. The format of Podshock does the very same, you know. We have a lot, <laughs> a lot of different things we can do, and you know, just. Have I just to wish we had our time machine. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'd like to thank everyone that was involved with today's show, including um, obviously Ken and James, and along with um, Darth and Taras and. Um, all, all our listeners, are, uh, Dave and um, is it was it Diane? Diane, mm-hmm. yeah. Always good to have a lady on the show. We need more ladies on Podshot. Yeah. There's far too much testosterone. Let's get some uh, nice estrogen in there. It's, you want me to write Donna Wigan? All right. James, for some reason that made me think a little Britain. Really? <laughs> remind, remind me of the time. Yeah. Well, let's not go into that. That's. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is supposedly a family show. Not <laughs> <laughs> Little Britain, Podshock. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So until um, until next time, come back next week when we are doing another live show and we'll be reviewing Human Nature. The once. Um, somewhat um, controversial episode uh, only because it's um, based on a previous um, book but you know I think it's going to be I, I, the, the, the trailers look really exciting and I'm looking forward to it and I think everyone else is as well yeah, yeah it looks the pretty awesome was, was really exciting. Uh, yeah so and bring your scarecrows and time lords and time ladies and time tots and come back and join us next week at <laughs> for another exciting Thanks. and informative Twice. episode Yes. Yeah. <laughs> become a little catchphrase, has it? <laughs> so, uh, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Doctor Who Podshock live by the fan-run GallifreyandEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net.
You've just heard an interactive, interactive, interactive podcast designed for audience participation. Come talk, talk, talk text chat, or listen live at talkshoe.com.